and Yong. Welcome to I've Made a Huge Mistake in Arrested Development Podcast. I am your host, Darren, and with me I have two guests today. First of all, I have uh, Ryan, and I'm going to say Mitchney. Is that how I'm saying that name? That is correct. Great stuff. And I also have returning guest Matthew Siegel. On Yong. On Yong, Today we're going to be covering episode two, the one where they build a house, uh, which was broadcast on the 14th of November 2004. Uh, it's written by Jim Vallely, the name that I always struggle with, and Mitch Hurwitz, and directed by Lee Shalit Himmel. And we've talked about all three of those people a number of times, um, so I'm not going to talk about them too much. Uh, I'm going to give you the summary as uh, as I found it on IMDb. Uh, it goes as follows. Michael's new business model backfires when Job suggests they build a fake house in two weeks. Meanwhile, George Sr. turns up in Mexico, only to be captured by prison guards who have been injured by a shoddy device he tried to market in Mexico years earlier. Um, And I think that actually places a lot more emphasis on the George Sr. storyline than is in the episode, I would say. Um, I I really think the Lindsay stuff is more prevalent than George Sr., but... Yeah. Yeah, the, the the kind of continuing open relationship storyline is a bit more prevalent. Uh, and, of course, Tobias um, and his wonderful um, disguises, would you say, or camouflage? I don't know how I'd describe that. Yeah, camouflage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I particularly love his last kind of bit of camouflage where he's used up all the diamond dust. That's always such a, a fun uh, kind of finish to that little story. Well, after he exhausts um, all the all the blue things that he can blend into, he has to <laughs> do silver. Um, okay, well, um, since this is uh, Ryan's first time, I'm going to ask you, uh, when did you come to Arrested Development? I did watch it uh, when it was uh, when it was airing, uh, and I remember watching it uh, prior to season three. I, I must have caught a few episodes in those seasons, and I remember finding it somewhat baffling until... Uh, a period in college when I had dislocated my knee and I was looking for things to watch. <laughs> and I remember getting um, uh, getting some of the episodes through a file-sharing network at my college of some uh, legitimacy <laughs> or not um, and sort of blazing through it and really getting into it that, over that time. Um, and then that was prior to season three. And then I watched those when they were airing and was crestfallen when it was canceled in real time. I mean, season two started quite late. It started in November. I mean, this is only the second episode and they're already halfway through November when they broadcast it. Um, and obviously season three finished. Um, I think it finished the same. I, I want to say the weekend after the Super Bowl or the same weekend of the Super Bowl. Yeah, early um, early two, 2006. Yeah, uh, they, they burned the last four episodes off against quite heavy competition. <laughs> so basically no one would notice it. Um, but yeah, this is the point at which Fox really started. Despite the fact that it won the best, uh, as I said in the previous episode, it won the best comedy Emmy in between the first and second season. So you would have thought that would have prompted them to uh, try to do something with it. But... Um, no, they didn't. Um, so, um, but you know, let's get into this episode. I think the main plot is actually, you know, there's only kind of a one real big plot, which is, uh, the building of this home. Um, and off from that storyline, we get a bit of Job, um, introducing the business model, Starla, um, and from that, there's also a bit of Lindsay and Tobias, um, and of course Tom Jane. Um, you know, just kind of all, all, all kind of off this same storyline. Um, you know, uh, and then obviously there's a, a little bit of. Um, well, actually, we're getting the introduction here of Anne, 
as played by Mae Whitman, um, you know, uh, like in the previous episode she was talked about, but she didn't appear. And then obviously in the last episode of season one, she was played by a different actress. So this is the debut of Mae Whitman as Anne. We we start off the episode with Michael thinking about um, building um, a second home to convince everyone that they're um, in the black. Um, you know, they they just they just need one one home built. Basically, is all Michael is is kind of um, is kind of thinking of. And um, the narrator tells us that uh, Michael's father always unveiled his construction projects with a highly publicised ribbon-cutting ceremony. He even did so for the prison he built, and somewhat ironically, would later occupy. And we get to see George Senior behind the the fence just waving, um, which I think is a, a nice touch. I, I like that the show, like, it shows the picture of George Senior waving behind bars. And then it's like a immediate cut to Michael in the same position, just waving his hand. Very, very <laughs> they clever. like to do match cuts, um, yeah. and they, they do that. They do them very well for comedy effect. Of course, Lindsay is paying no attention to anything Michael is saying because she's found out that there's a cream with real diamonds in it, and it's only four hundred dollars a tub. And she says, "That's like what, like a million diamonds for four hundred dollars? A million diamonds!" And she's really excited about it. And it just kind of comes out of nowhere. And of course, you know, Michael kind of tries to calm her by saying, okay. Uh, and then when Tobias walks in, he's like, is she on you about that diamond cream? <laughs> I love how, you know, she, she's she been really enthusiastic about this, but she's been really enthusiastic with it, with Tobias first and now with Michael. Um, I don't know why she would, because it seems like she's going to Michael to try and get the $400. Um, so I don't know why she would have told Tobias about this because she knows he hasn't got the four hundred dollars to uh, to buy this diamond cream. Um, but you know this that that will become a, a, a nice little runner in this episode. Um, and you know uh, um, this this is where we find out the state of the current open marriage, where um, you know Tobias. <laughs> Tobias um, has his his fair share of groupies, or should he say, bloopies, um, and and he he auditions for the Blue Man Group finally because in the previous episode he painted himself blue, without even having an audition, um, and so here we see him auditioning, and he auditions the same way he did in the pilot, where he 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 sang a song from a musical. And uh, here he sings kids from Bye Bye Birdie, um, which is like such an odd choice considering that the Blue Man Group do not sing, to my knowledge. Do they sing? Are they a group? It also, I, a group I, I find it odd in the sense that why are the, why are the Blue Man Group uh, like sort of expecting this? Who's the pianist who's playing for this audition? <laughs> <laughs> I, I assume Tobias brought him himself. It could be, oh, yeah, could be that. Yeah, that, that would make sense. Um, but I also like the Blue Men Group are auditioning people while wearing their full makeup. So <laughs> they're as committed as Tobias. Yes. Tobias is committed, but he just doesn't have the gig yet, which is the kind of the odd thing. But yeah, and I, I love that maybe is kind of trying to. I mean, in this episode, she's not actually pushing them to see other people. She's just questioning whether or not they'll actually have the guts to go through it. And of course, they both kind of say they have. And we see in the cutaway where Lindsay goes up to a man and says, can I buy you a drink? 
To which the man says no, but he says it in quite a firm way. Uh, and of course, this means that she just Lindsay just leaves, and he turns around to say, "I'd like to buy you a drink." And then she's like, "Where's she going?" And as she leaves, we see on the wall there's some there's an area that is blue, and we see Tobias emerge from it as he will do several times in this episode and follow Lindsay and the narrator tells us that you know that is why Tobias has not been getting any dates uh, because he's uh, you know he's he's basically spending his time following Lindsay around this is where Lindsay we get a story throughout this where Michael wants to cut the ribbon because his dad used to cut the ribbon he's not technically speaking in charge of the Bluth company anymore you know um Job is the president, um, and so this is where we start the story where uh, Lindsay asks, who are you going to bring to this ribbon-cutting dance? Which <laughs> which I quite like the idea that she's already kind of forcing the thing where she wants she wants to kind of make Michael bring someone. You know, he says he says that he doesn't need a date, and then this is where he he decides he's gonna he's gonna ask George Michael to come and see him when he cuts the ribbon. And he says, can I bring Anne? And, of course, this is where we get the start of um, of Michael calling Anne by many different one-syllable names that aren't her own name. Here, Anne um, is described as the girl that George Michael is kind of hanging out with, which I think is a nice way of putting it. And I love how Michael says... I haven't met him. And George Michael says... Yes, you have. And the narrator says... Michael had met Anne. <laughs> and then he, he points over to where Anne is and, and George Michael says... She, that's, that's her right over there. I just, I just love how kind of forgettable they make Anne. Um, that, that Michael let her into the house and he cannot remember doing that. Um, and, and I like how he says... Uh, this is where we get the, the kind of the coining of a terrible term where... Um, he, he's, he says she's got a little hard boiled egg going there oh. and uh, George, George Michael says so cute she sometimes takes a little pack of mayonnaise and she'll squirt it in her mouth all over, and then she'll take an egg and kind of mm-hmm. she, she calls it a mayonnaise egg <laughs> and, and after telling this to Michael there's a bit of a hesitation and George Michael goes are you okay Michael goes, <laughs> I don't feel so good and um, of course so what do you guys think is funnier George Michael describing or just his like <laughs> His hand motions describing the May and egg, or just Jason His Bateman's physicality is incredible. <laughs> incredible disgust while he's doing it. Because I always like waver back and forth between which one. Is I funny. just I think that like kind of George Michael kind of miming it is just so funny because Michael Sarah sells it with such kind of earnestness. Like right. he, he he thinks it's such a like cute thing to do, and obviously as it goes along, like his description, you know, Michael just gets more and more queasy. I like how it ends with George Michael saying, "You know, I kind of want to buy her a diamond." And Michael going, and this will be the first time he's done this. Her, but that will not be the last time. <laughs> but yeah, so you know, uh, it's worth mentioning that the, there is a cut scene at the very end that would have been on the next, where the narrator tells us that. Um, you know, after the events of this particular episode, uh, Michael wants to get to know Anne, and he walks in on Anne and George Michael, and George Michael's got uh, a huge, like, kind of squeezy bottle of mayonnaise, and he's just squirting tons of it into his mouth, and then he takes, like, a a whole, like, hard-boiled egg in his mouth, 
And obviously he's making his own uh, mayonnaise. He really seems to have an expression of, of total endurance and disgust on his face. It's, it's quite a disturbing scene. I understand why they did not include it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And obviously Michael then says, um, I'm sure that Egg is a very nice person. And as he says the word Egg, George Michael, and he will do this several times throughout this season, he immediately says Anne um, to correct Michael. And um, he and uh, Michael continues. I just don't want you spending all Damn. your money getting her all glittered up for Easter. Oh. You know. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I just I love I love that immediately he stopped calling her and he's calling her egg and the fact that he says glittered up for Easter is like such a such a great kind right of because turn of phrase he has this. He has to sort of pretend that it was an accidental tick, and yet also the next sentence acknowledges that he knows what he said. <laughs> yeah, and then obviously this is where Michael has uh, another kind of running joke where George Michael says that Job is the president, and Michael says, yeah, I don't have any problem with that. And um, <laughs> and this is something that, you know, we'll, we'll kind of... In this episode, they kind of resolve it a little bit, but he will also say that he doesn't have a problem with something a number of times um, over this season. Uh, and we're reminded that, you know, Michael's father has escaped from prison and Joe was in charge. And he's still in the office, um, you know, Michael's old office. Uh, and he says, you know, gosh, Michael, I am kind of the president. And Michael says, and I have no problem with that. <laughs> right. I also like um, that Joe made sure to spackle up all of the holes he made in the last episode. It's a nice little touch in the background. Yes, yeah, they've got... Well, I mean, I think the hole that's right behind him is where he found the Iraqi papers. Yeah, right. there were some other holes along the wall where he was playing pool <laughs> that they, they've, they've filled in. Um, and I think those actually remain there for the rest of the season as well. Yeah. You can, you can also see the picture of him holding the banana uh, that sort of imitates his father's picture that they have all over the Bluth Company on, sitting on the couch. So he's tried and failed to hang it up and sort of given up <laughs> and left it back there. Yeah, in fact, um, that picture was in the previous episode, and as Job was trying to put it up, you could see he was wearing the same shirt as in the picture. So he basically took the yeah. picture that day and then tried to hang it, <laughs> and that's how he ends up finding the Iraqi papers. Um, so that's how quickly he wanted to take over this office, basically. Um, and then this is where Michael reveals his plan of building a a new model home, and... You know, Job says, can I announce it to the board? And obviously Michael says, you know, it is my business model. I mean, if you had a business model, then by all means, um, go in there. And, and then this is where they play um, rock, paper, scissors, um, which will t- turn into a kind of... the the it, Within this episode, they play it a few times, but obviously it pays off um, when the model home is revealed at the very end. Um and obviously, Michael always picks rock. That is that is his kind of key strategy, <laughs> and he doesn't understand <laughs> why it loses to paper. Um, and then this is where Job c- drops in his thing where he says, there's not a lot of logic to it. It's like on a boat with women and children first. Uh, I mean, why should they? Uh, before I forget, I'm buying a company boat. <laughs> <laughs> and in the previous episode, Job had referred to... You know, he runs a tight ship and he said it was a gaming ship. Uh, And obviously in the first season he blew up the yacht, but on several occasions he was thinking of taking the yacht to South America. So obviously Job is obsessed with having a boat, 
Um, and I don't quite know why, but <laughs> I think it's just a, a, a funny gag. And this is where we get Job and some innuendo with um, with Starla, uh, where he says, what a beauty. And she says, thank you. And he goes, I meant you. <laughs> um, you know, and obviously this is where Starla says... Uh, I'm sorry, I don't give it out without a firm offer. Job says, oh, I'll make you a firm offer. And then... We find out she wasn't flirting, and then we see uh, Job with some boat salesmen, like solemnly signing paperwork, uh, and it's like such a kind of a, a kind of escalates. I like how it starts off kind of being about Job flirting with Starla, and then it just turns into he bought a boat, which of course is what he said before the flashback began. Uh, but I like how the flashback kind of throws you off that for a little bit and it makes you think this is going to be a scene about something else. And it, it's funny too that that she uh that she, you know she's she's flirting back but it's probably everyone that comes up to this boat gives her this stupid line. Yeah. Um, and you know Job gets his come up but then later on she is in the episode hanging out with Job so it's it's sort of weird. It, it seesaws back and forth a bit. I think that's something that we'll see with Starla more in upcoming episodes. <laughs> Um, yeah, but they just kind of hint at it a little bit here that she's not completely um, fully there in terms of what she's doing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then obviously, you know, Job tells us that na- the name of the boat is the Seaward, and uh, Michael says you're not getting a boat, and then of course they do um, <laughs> paper, rock, paper, scissors again, and of course Job says paper covers rock, and Michael says fine, fine, but rock sinks boat. Um, <laughs> And then obviously this is where Lucille shows up. Um, And I love this joke because it it is, I don't know, it's possibly one of the best executed jokes using kind of obscenity, but not using obscenity. Where obviously we've already known, we already know what the name of the boat is. And so obviously Michael says, get rid of the C word. And Lucille says, I'll leave when I'm good and ready. And I love that both <laughs> Michael and Job pause for like quite a while before they realize what she's thinking they're talking about. Um, and then obviously, you know, this is where Lucille says, it's about your Uncle Oscar. I want him to move in with you. Which is kind of, I don't know, everyone seems to be one living in, the, to be one, everyone seems to want to live in the model home. And I don't know why, because there's not enough space for just you know the people who were meant to be there so i don't know why you know buster in in the previous season was in there for a couple of episodes and job too and now you know they're trying to put oscar in there um obviously his humble trailer was impounded in the previous episode um and you know this is where we get a series of um uh, we get we've already had the uh, you know a lot of the the bleeping out of words that's been like a, a kind of key thing and, and people kind of turning their head or hiding their mouths as they as they swear and here we get a lot of Oscar wandering around with a blue dot <laughs> <laughs> covering up um, you know what we can I mean what we can assume is giant erection. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna say it seems like he's quite well endowed from both the the <laughs> zoo noises that take place before Buster goes into his mother's bedroom, which first of all is not appropriate in any way, um, <laughs> and then obviously you know Oscar turns up and he says, "So everybody's still up, huh?" And <laughs> he's just standing there, and you see the kind of shock on Buster's face as he sees Oscar's genitals, which is. 
um, <coughs> you know, quite funny. Uh, and you know, this is this is where we find out that Buster is a nervous wreck right now. But of course, he's only a nervous wreck because Lucille volunteered him <laughs> to go into the army. Um, but I love how she acts like it's not her fault in any way. Um, uh, but you know, obviously, it, it, it most certainly is. And and in future episodes, we'll find out that it wasn't even really Michael Moore. And when we see Buster at the recruitment center, uh, this is where we get. If you have the, if you have your um, captions on, you can find out exactly. Um, in the previous in the previous season, uh, Buster uh, mentioned that Lucille too was not shocked when he saw his genitalia. Um, and in this this um, episode, we find out exactly um, what she would have been shocked by, uh, which is apparently that it is shaped like a lobster tail, but without its shell. <laughs> so that is a very vivid description of uh, Buster's penis. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. But I like how Buster is trying anything to get out of the army, talking about his panic attacks. He's never opened his eyes underwater. He's got a hole in his heart, which is something that Lucille is describing. I love that as a medical condition, by the way. (laughs) I've never opened my eyes underwater. Uh, Yeah, he's legally blind at night, which, again, these are all... These are all... Like, this really Buster is the runt of the the litter in this case. Like, everything about him is kind of uh, weak. And yet the doctor says, let's get fit, get you fitted for a uniform, um, you know, which, which you know, the, the narrator tells us Buster had miscalculated the army's current need for personnel, which at the time, uh, I believe America was fighting two wars. Um, now, I believe they are only fighting one. So I guess Buster probably could have got away with this now. But in 2004, yeah, this. This was about six months after the Iraq War started, right. I believe. I guess they just needed anybody. And then I, I love how um, Michael suggests that they they put Oscar into the army. And I, I love how she says, he'd never cut his hair. That hair. <laughs> and that is something that Lucille will do a number of times with Oscar over this season. Is every Anytime anyone mentions his hair, she'll say that hair. And she'll be very kind of, um, you know, uh, very kind of wistful about it. Um and we see George Sr. in Mexico with Kitty. Um, interestingly enough, Kitty wasn't in the last kind of five or six episodes of the previous season, even though she was talked about quite a bit. After we said goodbye to those, she reappeared in the um, in the the finale for a couple of scenes, trying to convince everyone she should be in charge of the Bluth. Um, company. But that was kind of the only... That was like one episode out of kind of like the last six or seven that she appeared in. So this is the first time this season we're getting to see her. Uh, Obviously in the previous episode when George Sr. escaped with the Iraqi paperwork, um, the narrator told us that Kitty helped him flee, but we didn't actually see her. Um, And then obviously she is talking about having a child. And this is where we get a call back to mommy. What, what would I look like? Um, Which didn't, didn't work as a, a um, a business because obviously you know if you put ugly babies in you get ugly adults out the oddest thing is in this case and this will happen a few times in the series where they do a brief call out to um to mommy what would i look like um that they're using it as if as to kind of combine two parents to see what their children would look like which is not what the original joke was um the original joke was to see what your child would look like as an adult 
but I don't mind it because it's a funny joke because we get a very brief shot of what the combination of Kitty and George Sr. would look like. It's also hypothetical because, you know, it's not as if they made it. It's the, if if they were to do this, this is what, it's sort of weird. Yes, it is different. And yeah. Yet it's fictional in the case that they use it for, for the flashback. Yeah, but in the in the first season, when they did the joke originally, it was a, it was a different joke. Um, but I don't right, mind it, on babies. you know, because it, it's quite funny that <laughs> Kitty is trying to push the idea of having a child. And obviously, um, George Sr. has grown tired of their uh, confined intimacy. And this is where he says the title of this podcast. I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> which, which I love. <laughs> this is where we get the Job's kind of um, need for approval from his father coming through when um, he, he calls... And George talks very quickly because he, he basically needs some money. And and obviously Job says, it's funny after all these years of you making fun of me for the magic shows. And, and obviously George is then like, Job, oh, for God's sake, I called to talk to Michael, you horses. And then he gets cut off. Uh, and obviously Job gets hurt and he does a kind of wistful, even after the call is hung up, he does a wistful goodbye pop. And obviously that's when Michael <laughs> hears him and he tries to get on the call. Um and uh, we get a call back to a joke that occurred in the previous season uh, where, you know, he says, he, when asked where he is, he says, no way to tell, really. Portugal, down South America way. <laughs> They're continuing inability to understand where Portugal is located. Yeah, and I, I love that, obviously, you know, he says that he wanted to talk to the president. And Michael says again, I have no problem with that. <laughs> and obviously, Michael was also hurt. And then, of course, they cut back to Mexico where... George was also brutally hurt when he's mistaken for his twin Oscar as he gets taken down by the police, which is something that happened to Oscar a few times in the previous episode when they thought that the police thought that he was uh, George Sr. And I have to say, it seems like the police are very much onto the, the you know, George and Oscar Bluth in terms of trying to get them arrested. Um, not enough to actually check which one of them it is, but enough to take them down and start hitting them. Um, but I love that George says... No, no, that's my brother. Brothero. 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 <laughs> so, obviously, he also doesn't know what the word hermano means. I, I just I just love, I love um, the kind of, um, the use of George Sr. in, um, in Mexico. Uh, I think it's like a, a funny little storyline to start the season out. And the, the Mexican police are really on guard for uh, for this for the cornball thief, <laughs> the corn, cornball uh, scam artist. Considering that that happened in the eighties or something, and they're still immediately ready to take him down with batons. That's because they're after Oscar for dealing in marijuana. I think is what they're saying. Uh, they say Paula Paula Ventel at marijuana. So. That's why they're taking him down. But yeah, when he reveals that he's George Senior, they've all got burnt um, fingers and they've all basically been taken. So they, so he, yeah, he's he's still quite prominent in. They still have that vendetta going. Yeah, which does seem a bit odd. But at, at this point, Lindsay, um, she meets a, a man who looks interesting. He had the lean, effortless, uh, the lean look, effortless hair, and dressed down manner of a movie star. And of course, he says, "Buy me a drink," and. Uh, Lindsay says the bars are closing and he knows he says he knows a place and then obviously um, this is where they get thrown out of a uh, I don't know what to call it um, a, a liquor store I guess or like a mini mart yeah something like liquor that liquor store yeah, yeah. Um, and <laughs> this, is, this is where Lindsay finds out she, that he's homeless and she says you're homeless you're gross and obviously she's met Tom Jane, 
but she doesn't know yet that it is Tom Jane. And I just love that. <laughs> I just love the whole Tom Jane storyline in this episode. It's just like a really odd way to introduce this actor. And I'm not 100% sure where Tom Jane's career was in 2003, 2004. Yeah, I, like, I tried looking him up on IMDb. And, you know, I think a few years before this, he had done his, like, Paul Thomas Anderson thing. Because he was in Boogie Nights and Magnolia. But, like, yeah. the three biggest movies before this episode was Deep Blue Sea, Dreamcatcher, yeah. and The Punisher. <laughs> and The Punisher I only know because that was filmed in uh, St. Petersburg, which is, like, 15 minutes away from me. And it, it's a very... It doesn't make the city look great in that movie, Tank. So I'm not sure... <laughs> Thomas Jane is the movie star they were really hoping for. And I don't know if that's the joke or not. I don't, I don't know, actually, because um, Punisher came out um, April of 2004. I right. mean, I guess he would have sort of been a bit big. I mean, I knew him from Boogie Nights before he did right. Punisher. Um, and I can't quite remember. I mean, I'm going to say I can't quite remember the role he played in Magnolia, but that's because Magnolia has a cast of like 70 to 80 people. <laughs> Right. So it's hard to remember exactly who is everything in that film. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just seemed odd that they've kind of picked him. I mean, he was in he was in a film called uh, The Sweetest Thing, if you're aware of that film. Um, which is that the has... one Cameron Diaz? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> it is Cameron Diaz, Christina Applegate, and Selma Blair. And oddly enough, and I have a feeling this... I mean... This might be where the connection comes in. Thomas Jane and Jason Bateman. Um, right. Oh, I totally forgot that Jason Bateman was in that Yeah, movie. he's like fifth build. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, I, I guess maybe that's where the kind of connection comes in. Uh, I don't I know. know. He, I think during the 90s, he was sort of one of those actors who always seemed like he was on the verge of like breaking into being an action star or something. And it never really happened. Yeah. So I, I wonder if that's the reason they, they've sort of got him for this as someone whose career has sort of tapered off, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I just, I mean, I love that he's willing to kind of take the Mickey out of himself and kind of, you know, be a little bit kind of silly. Obviously he would appear in, um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world with, um, Michael Sarah. And I, you know, obviously he, he got a lot bigger for being um, on the show Hung, if either of you ever saw mm-hmm. Hung. Yeah, good words um, by Hung, and he got a little bit bigger. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and curiously enough, he was married to an Arquette for, he was married to Patricia Arquette from 2006 to 2011. I don't know. Uh, I, I just like I just like that it's just an odd choice of actor. Like, uh, later on they say Lindsay didn't know uh, who t- who that was when they revealed that he's Tom Jane and I have a feeling most of the people in the audience probably would not have known who Tom Jane is either yeah, um, I have had I, a... I didn't know who he was when I watched this and I thought that they were making up a fake movie star yeah, I had a friend who no did the exact same was. thing like they assumed that he was just some just a, a created star to be a star in this episode and I had to explain to like, him no, there was a there was a movie called The Punisher he was the Punisher <laughs> a little bit like Frank Wrench Right. That that whole situation. Um, that's kind of what it seems like it is. But anyway, we'll talk a little bit more about Tom Jane when we get the reveal later on. But, um, you know, Lucille finds out that, uh, you know, Buster has not been rejected for Army. Um, and she says, he says, they even touched my Charlie Browns. You lied to me. You said I wasn't fit to serve. 
Um, and of course, this is where Oscar walks in and, uh, and says, "Oh no, because they're in the pantry." So Oscar's already there, and he says, uh, "I think I know a little bit about avoiding combat duty." Now, which pinky do you use less? Um, now that I feel is a little bit of a call forward to what will eventually happen to one of Buster's. Oh, definitely. We had a little bit of they that. In really the... lay the groundwork before he loses his hand. There's so many hand references in this season. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's a, there's a big one in the next one, um, and there was a previous thing in the F- where there was a news item, and you heard um, about a seal attack. So yeah, they are kind of they're laying the the crumbs down for what's going to happen, and then obviously you know Lucille says. Uh, do you know what I went through to have this boy? And then Oscar, with his trademark uh, music, says, "Oh, the best I know where the thing. boy came from." Yeah, I, <laughs> I just, I, lo- I think I, I love that almost as much as the religious music that accompanied um, George Senior, like kind of giving glaring looks to anyone who tried to do stuff to him when he when he turned <laughs> religious. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I just love it. Um, and then obviously, you know, Michael announces. The construction of the second model home, and he says uh, we can be cutting this ribbon within two months. And of course, Job interrupts and says, "And I said, that's why you're no longer president. Two weeks. Let's do it in two weeks." <laughs> and he lets out an enthusiastic, "Hey!" Which I just, <laughs> I just, I just love. I, I love it. Wait. Oh, so th- this is something I wanted yes? to ask. So go for it. Did you? In over in England, did the Howard Dean scream? Like, was that a thing that you knew? I about? knew about it because I followed the presidential elections. But gotcha. no, <laughs> if you're it if seems, you're not, yeah, it's it's like quite clearly a reference. <laughs> yeah, I think it's yeah, it is it is uh, to me. Yeah, it strikes. Obviously, you know, this was literally around the time that that happened because um, this was just after the two thousand and four election. So yeah, the Howard Dean thing would have been still something in pop culture at the time. Um, but no, like Howard Dean was not a big thing in this country. He still isn't a big thing in this country. You know, if you come, if you come like third place in a presidential primary, primary nobody yeah. really pays any attention to you. So they barely pay any attention to him in America. So no, not over here. <laughs> but I, I love that, you know, you know, Joe obviously has the, um, is it the final countdown that plays when he, he says he's, yes. hey, he plays the final countdown. Michael stops it. And then obviously he talks about, do you have a business model? And then, of course, Job says, <laughs> meet Starla, the new Bluth Company business model for our phase two campaign. And then I love the way that Mo Collins says, Bluth Homes, solid as a rock. And both her and um, and uh, Will Arnett will say a rock as Iraq. Um, <laughs> and obviously, this is where we get uh, solid as a rock playing. And then obviously Job says, we'll see you at the ribbon cutting in two weeks if my brother doesn't screw it up first. Hey! And he times his hey, so it comes in with the solid part of solid as a rock. One of my favorite parts of the scene is uh, after he drops those pennies from the ceiling, uh, the sort of gleeful way in which the executives all try to (laughs) scramble to them up. (laughs) They're all really excited about getting some loose change from around the table. Yeah. It's a great little detail. They did that in the previous episode as well, where they were all grabbing for pennies after Job turned $100 into 100 pennies. Um, So obviously the board are just very cheap and they, they just really... Or they really need pennies for something. I don't know why. And then obviously... You know, Job, this is where he comes up with the idea that will essentially be his undoing, where he says they build a fake one. And then, of course, <laughs> I love when he goes, 
nothing on the inside because that doesn't seem to be an assessment of the fake home. It seems to be an assessment of Job, basically. It helps that he points to his head while yeah. he says that. <laughs> it's a great bit of business. And then obviously, you know, this is where Starla walks past and um, Job says, then build it yourself, damn it. And then, you know, he, he's like, hey, there's my little business model. And then when she goes, he goes, sorry about that build-it-yourself crap. And I love how Job, but he does this a couple of times in this episode where he'll do something while Starla's there and then he'll kind of apologize for it to Michael. Um, and then obviously, you know, Job says he's going to take her to the river curtain and he says, uh, you end up finding a date yet? And Michael says no. <laughs> Obviously, Michael has insisted that it isn't like you don't need a date and it isn't a dance and all that. And yet he still ends up kind of giving into everybody else, kind of forcing it on him. Um, and then obviously, you know, uh, this is where we get a bit more of um, Oscar and Lucille are um, they're on the beach. I think is where they <laughs> they they decide to get it on. Where um, you know. This is where Lucille says again, oh, God, that hair. What will people say? And Oscar says, they'll say those people are in love. And the narrator tells us, in fact, that night, the evening news report said something very different. And you see John Beard, and he goes, Lucille Bluth caught on tape breathing life into a homeless man. The surprising home video at 10. Now, I don't know who was filming that, or why they were filming it, or why they gave it to the news, or why the news ran it as their top story. I mean, there's so many questions there. I think they just wanted to run it as their top story because the guy who made Mouth to Vermouth was... He just wanted to get that on air as soon as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I do love that that's the title. But, like, Lucille Bluth's, like, alcoholism is so well known that they can go with that as, as like, the headline. And then, obviously, you know, uh, Lindsay is worried that her dates won't be available in two weeks' time. And obviously, you know, Michael says your inability to get a man interested uh, is not at the top of my list. And then obviously Lindsay says, oh, I've got a man interested, Michael. And he's and Michael says, what's wrong with him? And she's like, there's nothing wrong with him. He is homeless. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And of course, this is where maybe um, I, I mean, something worth mentioning is that we got practically no maybe in the previous episodes. She was in like one scene with George Michael talking about Bland and she's in like two very brief scenes in this episode and i you know in the next episode they actually kind of comment about how she's feeling left out which i feel is a bit of a comment by the writers that they they kind of struggle sometimes in season 2 to find something for maybe to do obviously they had the the whole surely funke storyline in the previous season and there were a few appearances with steve holt you know but they seem to really struggle in the second season to give her a, like a proper kind of storyline, uh, which is a pity because obviously Alia Shawkat is great. Um, but she here prompts, um, <laughs> she talks about Gangi's homeless guy and how she gave CPR to a homeless guy on the beach. And then obviously Lindsay goes, <laughs> I've got someone for your crew, Michael. My boyfriend, the homeless guy. And then, of course, she says, I wonder if he even has an apartment or anything. And then she kind of, like, wanders off. Um, and then, obviously, you know, this is where Michael finds out that it was it was Oscar. And uh, he says, of course, it was Uncle Oscar. <laughs> um, you know. And I love this exchange where she says, you're building a house. I want you to give it to him. And Michael says, it's not a real house. And Lucille says, perfect. He's not a real it's man. not a real man. <laughs> Which... 
Um, and I should just mention here as well, um, Jeffrey Tambor, obviously he's not playing George Sr. very much in this episode, apart from like one very brief scene. Um, and he's actually basically absent from the next episode. Um, but he is playing a lot of Oscar. And I just love what he does with Oscar in this episode. I think he's kind of like, he like needs to be with Lucille, but she hates, um, she hates ha- like needing him. And I think the way they play that relationship, um, like this episode is kind of like a really good example of that, but I just like how they do the relationship in the whole of the second season overall, like kind of Lucille constantly trying to push Oscar away. And of course, her pushing him away is the thing that draws him back to her. So, you know, I just I just really love what Jeffrey Tambor is doing, um, playing these two characters. But, you know, he gets he gets a lot of time to shine as Oscar in, in season two. Um, and then obviously this is where we find out that the man who looked like a movie star uh, looked like a movie star because he was a movie star. Um, and the narrator tells us... In fact, the man looked like a movie star because oh, he was a movie star. His name was Tom Jane, and he was making two movies for a major studio. One was a gritty personal project about a junkie's life, which he only got to do in exchange for making a rigidly formulaic popcorn movie. He was living on the streets, researching his role. You know, Lindsay (laughs) runs into him basically outside his trailer, from what I can tell, um, because there's like a Winnebago in the background. And uh, she says that she wasn't proud of how grossed out she was when she found out how gross you were. Um... And I see Tom Janey is impressed and he goes, you really thought I was grosser? Which I, I like how he sees it as kind of like, you know, how well he managed to get into character and to do his research that he was found gross. Um, and then obviously, you know, uh, Lindsay offers him the place on the crew um, and, you know, says, if you clean yourself up, who knows, you might actually get a date out of this. And then she kind of just like wanders off. Um, so this is actually her like more successful attempt to get a date because you know previously she was saying uh, no and wandering out of clubs and now she's uh, she's actually um, getting a, getting a date with Tom Jane and of course in the background after she leaves we see that Tobias is up against a Cloudmere advert I think it is at this point yeah yes yeah um, another callback and he just kind of like pops off and of course once he's off the Cloudmere advert he's just a guy all dressed in blue painted blue so he looks really obvious um, but he, I, I think he does like a little golem move here where he kind of yeah like, he does to the sunlight yeah. and puts his hand up <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny because the, the camera kind of almost pans to like a blue porta potty as if you think he's going to be there and then it kind of pans over a little bit and you get to you get to see where he actually is. So it's kind of like a nice um, thing. And then obviously we get back to Michael building the house. And um, he uses the word sacrifice here, which he did in a previous episode where he talked about people having to make sacrifices and power through. Uh, again, that was to do with building something. Um, and Oscar says that he wants to live there. George Michael says he wants to buy and some diamond dust. Buster says, I'm just hoping to get mildly injured so I can get out of the army. And then obviously Michael just says, bottom line is we've got two weeks to build a house. Doesn't have to be good, just has to look good. And then this is where Tom Jane goes, I just want my kids back. (laughs) And everyone kind of stops for a second and looks at him. Because I don't think they really know who he is, but 
and they don't really care that he wants his kids back. But uh, Tom Jane's like delivery of that line is just so great. So this is that uh, this is his rigidly formulaic popcorn movie, right? Isn't it Homeless Dad? Right. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Did we talk about the posters for his movies? Because it's we didn't, but we can. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I lo- I love I love junk, which is just <laughs> which just has him kind of you know in, lying in a corner, kind of passed out. Yeah, and then he, and it's, it's from the makers of the Dangerous Cousins. Yeah, <laughs> La Cousin de Jureaux. And, and I always um, thought that movie was called uh, They Shoot Heroin, don't they? Because that is much bigger than the actual <laughs> title, Junk. It's yeah, that a, is the that is the tagline. Tag yeah, that is such a perfect tagline for like an indie movie. Like recalling like another kind of like seventies indie movie, um, you know, which is set in the thirties. So so many so many weird kind of in jokes there. But yeah, I don't know how many people watching Arrested Development would have known about they shoot horses, don't they? Um, but uh, I, I know the phrase, but I, you know the phrase. I, but I think I've never seen the, the film. I would have known the phrase, but not necessarily the reference. I know that it's a movie now. But. Yes. I know it's a movie because when I was 17, I was in a production of it. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. Someone someone adapted the film um, in a theater group I was in, and uh, I played a guy who was on roller skates. And I, I, was, I, was, like, I, <laughs> nice. was, the, I was the ref because obviously the premise of the film is people are in a dance marathon and they're in a dance marathon until they like pass out basically. Um, and they get little breaks to kind of like lie down for like five minutes, but then they have to go back to dancing. And I was the guy roller skating between people to see if they were still um, kind of actually dancing rather than just kind of like falling asleep on each other. So, <laughs> so I'm very familiar with they shoot horses, don't they? Um, but yeah, I, I I I love that tagline, and I just kind of do love like the homeless dad, like poster. I, I also think it's it's funny how the the homeless dad is supposed to be the funny like family comedy movie, but it seems like such a dark premise. <laughs> <laughs> I just want my kids back. Well, do you know what? Um, I would say that homeless dad is actually quite close to the premise for the pursuit of happiness, the Will Smith film. That great comedy, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That popcorn film. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it it, can, it could work as a premise. Um and obviously we get we get the the boys building the house. Uh they go to work. Um Buster keeps trying to get injured and then Job stops by and um you know <laughs> Starla points out that your brother did it. In fact, I love that Job kind of he comes in on the um on the Segway, and it kind of gets stuck a little bit on some mud. Um, and then I obviously... Got, I thought he stuck on the flowers that he was running. Yes, yeah, sorry, yeah, no, he gets stuck on the flower bed, doesn't he, yeah. I'm thinking of a different um, a different episode um, where he gets stuck on, in the mud. Yeah, and he's on the um, the Segway, and he turns to, um, like, Starla says, uh, it seems like your brother did it. And, of course, Job kind of, with, the, <laughs> with his um, uh, Segway, and he goes... My brother does him what does what I tell him to do. I'm the president, and then obviously his pee has gone missing, and he's like, "Oh, not again!" Uh, and then Starla kind of goes around looking for it. Yes, he's merely a resident, <laughs> but then she finds the pee. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. Because <laughs> as she's looking for it, obviously this is where the narrator says uh, Michael had a problem with that, <laughs> which you know that's what that's what the joke has been um, building up to because obviously Joe wants to now cut the ribbon and then you know Joe goes we got the pee which I which I like as a kind of 
exclamation. And then obviously <laughs> Michael says it's his turn to take something from Job Starla. Um, now this doesn't really go anywhere in this episode. You know, he kind of tries to. <laughs> Job says, "I f- the business model," and the narrator says, "Actually, they just made out." <laughs> and then Job goes, "She had all kinds of orgasms." Imagine that. I finally nailed somebody that you weren't after. <laughs> and then obviously this is where Michael gets angry. And, you know, he's angry that Job's going to take the credit. And uh, he says, I'm going to be cutting the ribbon whether we're pretending that you're president or not. And then obviously this is where Job actually gets a little kind of sad. And he's like, you know, I just wanted you to be impressed with me. Dad never was, never said a nice thing about me. Uh, and this is where Job reveals, you know, like the call the other day. Uh, it wasn't for him. And this is where Michael goes, cut the ribbon. And Job goes, really? And he goes, yeah, how about that? And I kind of, I kind of like that Michael kind of doesn't bother to be petty about the whole ribbon cutting thing at this particular point, and he kind of just kind of lets Job have it because he does realize, you know, that both of them basically have kind of been played off against each other their entire lives, Uh, and Job usually comes out uh, kind of worse for wear on that particular front. Especially towards the end of season one, where Job kept saying, you know, like he wasn't going to talk and all this kind of stuff, and they're like, "We don't want, you, we don't, you don't know anything. Like you're not going to be able to talk." Um, and they kind of kept dismissing him. Um, and then obviously, you know, they hug. Um, and then we get to the unveiling of Phase Two, um, and you know, this is where we find out that George Michael can't find the diamond dust that he bought um, for Anne, and. You know, Michael says, well, your Aunt Lindsay is probably just taking it. She's just a taker. (laughs) Uh, Which seems a little bit mean at this particular point. Yeah, it it just seems weird that that Michael's a little bit kind of angry at Lindsay at this particular point for no real reason. Uh, And then obviously, you know, gets the chance to cut the ribbon, which Michael tells George Michael, the guy doesn't get a whole lot of attention in his family, which, of course, (laughs) this is the point in which Starla enters with Final Countdown playing and saying, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the Bluth Company, Garb Bluth. Um, And then, obviously, Job... I love Job's phrasing here because he goes, my brother wasn't optimistic it could be done. But I didn't take wasn't optimistic it could be done for an answer. Um... (laughs) Which, which, I had that too. <laughs> yeah, it's such a such a great kind of thing. And then obviously, you know, he goes, uh, I present to you phase two of the Bluth Company, a house that's truly solid as Iraq. <laughs> and um, he de- I think Will Arnott deliberately says Iraq, because obviously right. that is the joke. Uh, and do, then they un- cu- do they unfurl the mission accomplished banner, or is that just there from the as beginning? As soon as they cut the ribbon, the house falls apart... <laughs> <laughs> and it was a load-bearing ribbon. Yeah, yeah it was a load-bearing <laughs> ribbon, basically. And um, you know, as as it, the narrator says, Michael was right to be not to not be optimistic. It could be done. <laughs> and then, as it as it falls apart, Buster runs in front of the house as it falls, attempting to um, get hurt so he can stay out of army. Just like Buster. Yes, can... and it is such a well like. Such a great homage, but also really well like done. The right. fact that Buster kind of just runs into shot and stops on the spot, and then it falls down and misses him. It's really well like to time that out. That's you know that's quite a task. Yeah, particularly for like a, a sitcom on 
kind of like this budget <laughs> for them to be able right. to do what is essentially quite a dangerous stunt of having this structure fall past Tony Hale. <laughs> Um, it is quite remarkable. I found that yes, I found that this was also this shot was also apparently referenced the Buster Keaton uh, stunt in an episode of MacGyver. So that's the other TV program <laughs> apparently on which this was done. <laughs> so it's quite exclusive company. The great, the great pantheon of Buster Keaton aping TV shows. <laughs> and this is where we see now there was a small cutscene that would have come before the ribbon cutting, where we would have seen Oscar sh- showing Lucille around, and he shows her around by saying. You know, it's not completely finished, which obviously, you know, she knew. But he also kind of points and he goes, there'll be something over there and there'll be something over there. And then they both start to get it on. And of course, as the house falls apart, that is what's revealed. Um, And, you know, Buster sees, you know, what's going on is Tobias. And he gets up and he goes, I got the wrong homeless man. I'm sorry. I was looking for Lindsay. (laughs) He just kind of walks away. And, of course, Buster says, you know, you lied to me. You both lied to me. I'm going to war. And, you know, Lucille says, Buster, you can't. And he goes, yes, I can. I don't agree with your dirty doings here, but I will defend with my life your right to do it. And uh, I love that kind of paraphrasing of, of uh, I don't know who said that originally about the um, not agreeing with someone but defending their right to say it. And uh, it's, uh, Voltaire, I think. Voltaire. The, well, I'll take your word for it, but yeah. I love how I love how he puts dirty doings in there as well. It's like such a an odd kind of turn of phrase. <laughs> the from the phrase that Voltaire couldn't come up with. <laughs> yeah. Buster perfects. Yeah. And I love how Job gets angry at Michael and then thinks that he's he was set up. And obviously Job charged at Michael with the scissors. But Michael, as he always did, picked rock. You wanted to make me look foolish with scissors. Which beats scissors. Unfortunately, the whole incident was covered by the paper. Uh, which is the payoff. Which is the payoff of that joke. Which I just, I just love it. I love that whole, the, like the fact that they, they put the um, rock paper scissors in the episode earlier, and then they pay it off here by having like an actual rock. And the solid as a rock thing has been like its own separate joke. But they have the rock. They have the giant scissors, and then obviously they have the paper covering it all, and it just. It's it's so it's so clever that um it's great. You know, like the the way they, they kind of built up to it. And then obviously Michael says, Nobody looks good in this and Job says Especially that little dude. That's Anne. And of course Job goes, Who? <laughs> <laughs> uh so I kinda I kinda love how like even though Job doesn't know who Anne is, he's he's still kinda like insulting her. Um but yeah, and and then obviously you know this is where George Senior calls again, and um, in the previous episode we had Job trying to call the guys in for to have a laugh at a particular thing, and he couldn't operate the phone, and that obviously pays off here. Where um, I don't know how they know it's Dad's line, like like that's what he says, and I don't know how they know that he has his own special, but they do anyway. And Michael says, if you want my respect, you won't answer that. And obviously, um, Job hangs up, and Michael says, "I'm impressed you hung up on him." And Job goes, "Did I hang up on him? I meant to hit speaker." <laughs> and then this is where they start kind of going through the the same thing they did in the previous episode of trying to instruct Job on how to use the phone. Uh, I, I do like that Michael is like, "Hang up, hang up," and then the second he says, "I wanted to do it on speaker," he just has to show Job how to put it on speaker, even though 
You didn't want to talk to him in the first this place. This is where uh, Michael says, I don't want to wait until Dad's dead for us to get to get along. And the narrator says, but it was too late, as George Sr. would be declared dead within the hour. Um, <laughs> which is such a great kind of like cliffhanger. And then obviously, <laughs> um, you know, Job goes... We almost did it though, didn't we? <laughs> we almost pulled it off. No, it wasn't even close. Yeah, a lot of people should. This was very, very bad. Not great. <laughs> I just I love how they they kind of they kind of come to a truce in this episode and they they're gonna agree to help each other out but then they kind of admit that it was a complete disaster. <laughs> um, you know, they I just I just love I love how it ends. Um, and then we get the on the next where Lindsay finds out the true identity of a homeless man, um, and Tom Jane says, "Look, you're a really nice chick, but I'm not homeless." I'm Tom Jane. And the narrator says, even though Lindsay didn't know who that was, hearing that he wasn't homeless was good enough for her. <laughs> and then she says, buy me a drink? And he goes, oh, you're really sweet, but no, I'm Tom Jane. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just love how insistent Tom Jane is that he's too good for uh, Portia de Rossi. Um, and then obviously, you know, this is where Lindsay kind of, you know, misses her husband. And then we see Tobias in possibly his greatest kind of um, camouflage ever, where the top half of his body is covered in the diamond dust. And I don't know what they put on um, David Cross to make him look like that, because that glittery paint must have taken forever to get off, uh, because apparently the blue paint was a pain anyway. So the fact that he, he went to the trouble of basically kind of covering himself in this stuff that just makes him like really shimmery... Um, and, you know, Lindsay says, is that George Michael's diamond cream? And he goes, yes, well, I ran out of blue and I couldn't find anything else. He goes, I think my nipples are bleeding. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you're supposed to use quite this much. Um, and then obviously, you know, he says that Tom Jane is a jerk. Uh, and Lindsay says, no, I am. And he goes, no, I am. Because I think I need to go to hospital right away and see if I can get some <laughs> of this diamond just vacuumed out of my lungs. Um <laughs> So I, I love how their open like relationship has ended up with them um, like being closer than ever. Um I think it's kinda interesting that they've like kinda they're trying to have an open relationship and failing so terribly that it's actually ended up bringing <laughs> them together as a couple. Yeah, and they're sort of doing that thing that happens sometimes in sitcoms where uh women who are really beautiful uh, everyone around them is pretending that they're not <laughs> and they're sort of getting rejected way more than they would in real life yeah. with Lindsay, <laughs> which I think maybe is why they're coming closer together because no one, she, she's not being able to find anyone and he's just stalking her. <laughs> yeah. But it wouldn't work without that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, is there anything else that you think we need to talk about for this episode? Um, the only thing I was just reading about this right before we were talking and uh you know this one's called the one where they build the house and the one before this was the one where michael comes back and it kind of blew my mind that apparently friends had just ended like six months before this came back and i just never yeah. associate friends and arrested development existing at the same time just kind of very strange and i didn't know if they were trying to like, like name the episode like that to be the the friend successor that they never would be yes like. and also it's worth noting that the next episode uh right, is amigos. called yeah. amigos which of course is spanish for friends yeah i think it is just like a little joke that the writers had 
for the kind of for the first few episodes. But yeah, Friends had finished on the sixth of May two thousand and four, which would have been exactly one month before Arrested Development season one finale went out. Uh, and obviously, uh, you know, the finale for Friends had I don't know a, a ton of viewers. Let's put it like I think that. It's like the- it's either the fourth or fifth most watched just TV show ever. So, yeah, it was quite big. I think only like the Seinfeld, Mash, and Cheers beat it in terms of right. viewing yeah. figures. But let's put it like this: like the lowest rated episode of the final season of Friends, which was on the, the for the first but while the first season of uh, Arrested Development was on, had like eighteen million viewers. And the highest rated episode of fifty-two million was the last episode for um, Friends. But the the highest rated episode of Arrested Development was like the pilot, and that had like eleven million viewers, <laughs> and that so that kind of shows you the the kind of the the different levels that was going on in this particular TV landscape. Uh, but yeah, the, like the the first two episodes of of season two, for some reason took the Friends naming uh, convention of the one with, uh, and. So I I don't know why they did that, and I don't know why they then went and had the third episode named Amigos, but it just seemed like a a little joke that they kind of did for themselves. Um, Because obviously, you know, until until people had like DVDs or whatever, most people don't know the titles of episodes of single TV shows. It's not like really a thing that you know unless you're like a big fan or, or unless they, you know, like unless you're like the West Wing and they put them on the screen. Generally, the titles of individual episodes aren't really well known, um, but yeah. So I, I, yeah, it's just it's kind of just a, a weird little joke. But yeah. So if there's nothing else to talk about, uh, then I am going to say that on the next episode of I've made a huge mistake. Uh, my guests will be Brian Flynn and Zach Powers, who you may know from the Revisionist podcast, or you might know Zach from uh, Stage of Fools, which is another podcast that I produce. Um, and we will be talking about Amigos, which is where um, the chase to find George Sr. Uh, goes goes to Portugal, I think. It goes south of the border, at least. Um, and, you know, this that, that will be the, the origin of a number of jokes, but most notably the first time that we see Job do a chicken dance. Um, <laughs> and I think... <laughs> Given the way he dances, he's probably never seen a chicken. Um, so before we go, I'm just going to say, uh, do you have anything that you wish to plug? And I'm going to start with uh, Matthew. Yeah, I mean, I have a novelty Tumblr. If you want to see a bunch of images from movies and comics where it just says, you know, one hour later or something like that. It's at uh, meanwilkst, M-E-A-N-W-H-I-L-X-T dot Tumblr dot com. And for the month of September, I went through and got all of the Arrested Development, you know, time cards and put them up on there. <laughs> Great stuff. If for some um, reason you wanted to see that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this episode goes out in November, so I'm assuming people would have seen that a couple of months ago. Um, sure. Yes, it was already the talk of the internet. <laughs> and uh, Ryan? Um, I have a, a Twitter that I don't update as much as I should, at uh, Ryan Michney. Um, and uh, a blog that I also don't update as much as I should, uh, which is uh, referenced in the Twitter, but it's uh, hbar.wordpress.com, hbar spelled A-I-T-C-H bar, and it's about science and comedy things. And Great stuff. Well, thanks to both of you for joining me today, Thank and you. otherwise, goodbye. Bye. Bye.